Welcome back once again, my friends, to the show that never ends. So glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. Ray Woodson with you once again, and uh, somehow this podcast again involves beer. I'm sure that's just a coincidence, but I had a beer with Ray Ratto in Alameda today, so you will hear what the ravages of alcohol have wrought in just a moment. Uh, a little bit of news. The Giants bring back Derek Holland. I think this is smart. A one-year, $7 million deal that could be $15.5 million if the second-year option is exercised and he makes 32 starts. He was their best starting pitcher in the second half of 2018, and the Giants are not going to worry about the incentives or cutting him off from the number of starts for that amount of money. Uh, he led them in total innings pitched last season, but also has shown that he can pitch out of the bullpen, and that uh, could deprive him of starts, but again, I don't think the Giants are going to worry about that. But Farhan Zaidi likes his versatility for sure, and he worked well with Kurt Young and Matt Hurgis and resurrected his uh, career in San Francisco last year. He did talk to the Rangers and Reds, but I'm sure that success he enjoyed at AT&T Park, now Oracle Park, and the working relationship with the coaches was a big selling point to returning. Uh, with Jeff Samarja recouping from a shoulder injury and Johnny Cueto undergoing Tommy John, Holland is a, an insurance policy at a relatively low premium if he pitches like he did last year. And if he does, uh, he will be well worth the money. Uh, Farhan Zaidi wants to stockpile as many starters as possible. He's also willing to have openers once in a while, but if you do that, you better have reliable arms for the rest of the starting rotation, and Zaidi is uh, looking at Holland right now as one of those guys. Zaidi has also assessed that pitching was a strength last year, correctly so, so try to keep it a strength, and maybe the best you can do is add a little bit to the offense, get healthier, improve the depth, make 2019 as best as you, as good as you can, and then uh, see what you got in 2020. So I think he's going to address the outfield depth very soon. In fact, he said as much at a conference call today. Here we are a month before spring training, and many players have still not been signed in the free agent market. That's going to be a bone of contention, by the way, in upcoming labor talks. But for now, it works to Zaidi's advantage. A couple of other notes. Zaidi says he's inclined to push prospects Joey Bart and Elliot Ramos up the minor league ladder rather quickly. So you could see them both in San Jose this year. So that's great news uh, for local baseball fans. Giants also avoided arbitration with reliever Will Smith, agreeing to a one-year $4.25 million deal for a guy who could once again close some games, but also has gotten some trade interest. The Giants have no arbitration-eligible players left that keeps alive a 15-year streak of no Giants players actually going to an arbitration hearing, although Tim Lincecum was ready to enter a hearing room before a deal was announced one year. Last time uh, the Giants went to arbitration with a player, that was the beloved A.J. Pruszynski in 2004. And as you have likely heard, AT&T Park is no longer. No, they're not tearing it down. Yeah, I can see that. No, we're not going to let the Raiders play here. We'll sooner tear down the park than let the Raiders play here. No, it's now Oracle Park. A new naming rights deal with Larry Ellison's company long-term. So the Giants appear bound and determined to name the park after every company my wife has worked for. Although they probably won't name it after a certain defense contractor that she once worked for. Uh, this is a, a long-term, two decades deal, so I uh, don't think we have to worry about that. And I know some fans are a little bit upset about it. They were used to AT&T. Some still go with Pac Bell Park. You're just changing corporate names. I think it won't be long before people get used to calling it to Oracle Park. But now what does that mean for Larry Ellison's involvement in the team going forward? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the state of the Giants right now and Hall of Fame balloting with Ray Ratto coming up right here. 
All right, so uh, I staggered into McGee's at noon here in Alameda, and uh, lo and behold, I found a fellow day drinker, Ray Ratto. Ray, how you doing? Pliny the Elder is always the best breakfast and lunch. In Pliny we trust, absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk baseball. I'm going to catch up with you a little bit. Uh, it was uh, eight and a half years at Comcast, uh, NBC Sports, Bay Area. And, and how many years was it with the Chronicle? Well, if you want to count the merger, um, there was 10 there. And before that, it was uh, um, basically 10 with the Examiner. Before that, the National. Before that, the Peninsula Times Tribune. Before that, the Examiner. Basically, the story is here. I've had a long career of not holding jobs. <laughs> <laughs> or you keep getting jobs. If you know, see, but I'm the optimist. Well, that's why you're never going anywhere in this business. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> that's why we're here today. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, the National is an interesting one, though. That was an interesting, at least, project to you know to uh, trial balloon to put up there. It was 11 months of self-indulgence by people who really didn't have a firm grasp on what they were doing other than trying to make an all-star paper by deciding that the journalists were the thing that is important, when in fact, at the time that the National existed, you still needed to be able to distribute a newspaper, you still needed truck drivers, you still needed printing presses. They weren't good on details like that and died the death that they had coming to them because they didn't do the details. The, the athletic doesn't have that problem. Doesn't have that problem. And they've, I mean, they've gone out uh, about it a different way, but they are clearly like the inheritor of the role as the nation's sports section because USA Today has basically abrogated that as well. So, but the athletic had the advantage of they don't have to hire a truck driver ever. And that helps. Yeah. They don't have to worry about newsprint prices. They don't have to worry about distribution. The distribution is done by the magic elves. So, you know, good good on them. I hope they thrive, and uh, and I hope they hire me. <laughs> well, there you go. So, hey, it's a win-win today. Uh, you know, the, the the thing I used to love about USA Today was the Larry King columns. That was just a, a fabulous use of column space. Ice cream tastes best in the summer. Dogs are eternally happy. I mean, where, where else could you get that? Uh, I don't know, most fourth grade breeders. <laughs> I mean, no, it was, you know, he was the, he was one of the first real indications that there were people out there running media corporations who didn't care what was what the product was as long as it, you could attach it to a name and Larry King was a name yep. so basically him sort of writing code for fifth graders was it worked for them God bless him he's made, he's made a great career out of it um, so what, what's the future hold for you what, what are you looking at I don't know yet we'll see if something something arises if it does great if it doesn't more day drinking okay Right. I mean, alcoholism is highly underrated as a pursuit. And if, if you folks don't believe us, uh, we'll click the glasses right now. There's a little, little bit of Pliny's there. 
And I'm not looking for free advertising, although I will welcome it. Oh, you liar. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, we've pretty much admitted we're horse, so that's okay. Uh, we're, we're here to talk baseball, and I will eventually. I prefer talking beer at this point, but we're under a picture of Willie Mays, so uh, it reminds me of the Giants. And they're at a point where it seems like a catch-22, and I'm sure Farhan Zaidi knew that coming in. He knew that 2019... Well, it's, it's, if you're doing something well in 2019, it's found money. This is about 2020 and on, at least in my point of view. How do you look at it? I think it's 2021 and on because yeah. I think it's going to take them a long time to dig out of this. The, the advantage that the Giants have is that they could just eat some money and accelerate the process some. But the real trick for them is to start loading up a farm system that has done really well at finding starting pitchers and infielders and one catcher and not a lot else. That's where the biggest difference needs to be made, and that can only be done draft by draft. So I think it's at least two years. I think I think Zaidi knew that when he took the job. I think Brian Sabian knew that in 2018, but you're locked into you know, the fact that, look, this is what you've got. You have, you can't go out and just seize other people's players. And I think that's where their problem is. Well, I, I think they should explore that, actually. Well, I think I, they should kidnap Bryce Harper. I don't know if Bryce Harper helps them. I mean, because I mean, there are a lot of interlocking problems. Uh, other than that, kidnapping is not right, but just uh, oh, bury no, the lead. Oh, I like kidnapping. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I don't know if he's the guy you kidnap, right. though. I mean, I'd kidnap Mike Trout. <laughs> But yes, that's true. Um, I, I think for the most part, um, the Giants aren't in stasis, but they are starting to dig out from the, the benefit slash burden of making the playoffs in 2016. Because I think had they not gotten there and sort of hung out with the Cubs for four games they might have started this process a little earlier. Mm -hmm. But they lived under the theory that we can own the entire decade. And they did okay in 2012, 2010, 2012, 2014. But they were running on fumes at the end of 16. And while you never want to turn down a chance to, you know, get into the tournament, they might have been better off, you know, in the rearview mirror by not making it and saying, you know what? we got to get going now because they'd be farther along in the process. They just hate the word rebuild. And, you know, selling that to a fan base is tough, especially with the glow of the World Series in the recent past. And I think that's part of the problem, too. They just they wanted to excite the fan base as best they could. And so they tried to roll out a, a product in 2017 and 2018. And it just, well, I mean, obviously it ended up being a face plant in 17. 18, it was a little better, but a lot of guys were shut down at the end of the year, so they cratered in September. But I, I think that at least with the changes in the front office is sort of a recognition. If we're not doing a rebuild, we're definitely doing a reset here. No, it's a rebuild. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. They, they can dance around this all they want, but the fact is it's still an old roster. Um, there's still not a lot in the, in the minor league pipeline. And Zaidi's not taking this job if he hasn't been green-lighted to do whatever he wants to do to, to fix this. 
that's a rebuild. When you change your entire baseball operation, um, that's a rebuild. When you start looking at the roster, I mean, you're more constricted, not necessarily by contracts, but by avail availability of players. I mean, it, I don't know that if Evan Longoria would be on this team if they had a third baseman ready to go, because they can eat contracts, but they they have to be able to replace them, and that's the problem. It's a, not a money problem; it's a manpower problem, yeah. and they don't have that. Well, they can loosen up some things with a couple of trades, but that's still not going to be enough for this team, well, and they've who, got untradeable contracts too. Well, who's going to take their guys? I mean, I don't think the I don't think the market for Madison Bumgarner is terribly robust. Who else? Who else is you know somebody that other teams crave? Gorkas. Oh, Gorkas is gone. Forget that. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I don't. I mean, Buster Posey as a catcher, which is where his value still is. He's at the end of the road there. Um, Brandon Belt is a non-power hitting first baseman at a time in you know baseball's development where power matters more than it ever has. I mean, who else on that roster is somebody that other teams are screaming to have? I don't think they have anybody like that. So their trades are not, they're not gonna get save themselves that way. They're gonna have to do this through the draft and the draft is necessarily imperfect and it takes a while and guys fail along the way. This is gonna be a long slog and Giants fans need to know that. I would disagree with you just a little bit on Bumgarner. Uh, you know, I don't think he's going to bring in a massive haul either. I think he could bring in some interesting players, but then at the end of the day, what are you looking at? I mean, is he going to be a wash? I mean, is he just activity without accomplishment? So I think you have to consider it with somebody like Bumgarner because he does carry some star power. But I think the people who look at the metrics saw that there was a fall off last year. There was a freak injury. wasn't his fault but it's still a name that's going to attract attention. So you have to consider that, but it's got to be a knock-your-socks-off kind of deal, and I don't think that's going to happen right now. Well, it, look, the metrics kill him. That's the problem. He looks like a guy in decline, and the reason why he looks like a guy in decline is because he was worked like a rented mule through all of his good years. And, there's, and I'm not saying that he didn't more than serve the franchise well. But the team that you'd be trading him to is not going to get that Madison Bumgarner. They're going to get a third or fourth starter. And third and fourth starters don't, don't fetch a lot. And they certainly don't fetch a lot of the kinds of players that the Giants need, which is young, you know, under their control, and, you know, don't, you know, don't hit free agency for a while. They need to have a stable roster. And that stable roster isn't gonna happen in 2019. I don't think they can make it happen in 2020. I think this, that you start seeing the corner turned in 2021 if everything goes well. And that's a, that's a hard thing to predict in baseball. Well, it is. I mean, it could continue to be more of the same but we have seen teams turn around in that two-year time frame, more likely three or four years. But we have seen it in two years. And I think Zaidi is a smart guy. I think what he's looking at now is, well, the one thing I can do is improve roster spots, if nothing else. I can improve 40-man roster spots because there's a lot of flotsam and jetsam there. He can at least do that, at least work to the strength of this team, which is the pitching, uh, and was a strength from June 1st on. Uh, and 
bring back Derek Holland, which they've done, keep Bumgarner around, and maybe you're looking at a trade piece by the trade deadline. But uh, I think, just from my point of view, he can make this team a little bit better right now because it was so deficient. But, no, we're not looking at anything like uh, playoff contention for a couple of years. No, I mean, and, and truthfully, I mean, no, I don't think this is going to be a 58-win team. That's not what I'm saying. But they're going to look like they did the last two years for a while yet because they don't really have a guy you can hang your hat on. You know, I mean, you know, Buster Posey has been a great player. I don't know how much longer he can be an effective catch. He can still frame pitches with the best of them, but I don't know how much longer he can do all the physical things that catchers have to do day in and day out. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, the injury he had last year. I mean, he'd been putting off surgery on that for forever. I mean, he's wearing down as a catcher, and while he still wants to be one. You know, somebody's going to have to make the hard choice of just sort of putting her arm around and say, Buster, I'm not interested in what you want anymore. This is yeah. what has to be. Well, and he is their, he's their guy. I mean, Brandon Belt, you know, he's not a special first baseman. He's okay. He's okay, but okay doesn't get that done in an era in which there are the three true outcomes run the sport. Yeah. He's not a three true outcomes guy. And they don't really have anybody else who's a three true outcomes guy. No, now, unless baseball is about to pivot away from that, I think the Giants are on the wrong side of history. And unless the game reverts to something else that the Giants have in abundance, I think that's going to be a problem for them. Yeah, well, I was saying that on the radio show in 2015, but what the hell do I know? Anyway, well, you know, don't answer that question, by the way. Uh, you know, they, they, they definitely were behind the trends in this game, uh, for sure. You know, they may just look at this roster in this ballpark and say, well, we can't really do that right now. We'll do the best we can, get as efficient player as we can. It's not going to be enough the way the game is right now. Maybe Zaidi knows something we don't about how the game is going to pivot in the future, and and given this ballpark, that would work to the Giants' advantage. But uh, no, right now it's it's a it's a hard ask. No, either either they load up with power hitting right-handed hitters, because left-handed hitters are going to die there if you're looking for power. I mean, who's the great left-handed power hitter that they've had other than Bonds? And Bonds was a guy who sort of transcended the ballpark. And unless they want to change the dimensions, and it sounds like they don't want to touch that, they're either going to have to figure out a different mode of offense than most teams are going toward, or build a pitching staff so dominant that they make up the big misshapen ballpark work to their advantage. Well, they have to get better in the outfield, first of all, and that's also a big ask. But they have to be, at least get better defensively in the outfield with the vast expanses of land you have in the National League West, and I, I think Zaidi uh, recognizes that. Uh, I guess now a left-handed hitter is not going to get AT&T. They're going to get oracle So we've got that into the lexicon now. Yeah, you know, it's – I mean, I don't know. I, I, I didn't care about this. It's just it's, it's interesting that – they went toward money from a guy who, you know, at some point probably might want to become a partner. Mm-hmm. And Larry Ellison, 
I don't think does partnerships well. I think he, he doesn't to, share. <laughs> I think he wants to run things. But the interesting thing about it to me is that Charlie Johnson is in his mid 80s. Yeah. And I'm not even going to get into the politics, but he's as, as their biggest single shareholder. He's a guy who has to start thinking about estate planning. And the Giants have been able over the years not only to generate enough money, to, but to have a stable enough ownership, despite all the partners they have, to be able to withstand the lurches in the economy that have come over the years. Um, I don't know how much longer that, that that's feasible because 40% is going to be sitting out there if Charlie Johnson either passes and doesn't leave them to somebody who's interested in baseball or wants to get out. And if Larry Ellison is the guy with the name on the place, he seems like a guy you would automatically think would want to be in play for those shares. Yeah. At that point, the team becomes radically different than it's ever been before mm -hmm. because it's never operated with one person as a majority owner. And there's going to be a point where that's going to change because multiple partner sports teams are less and less frequent and they usually don't progress well. You usually need to have somebody smart in charge with who can put a fat wallet on the table and the Giants don't have that and they've never had that. Well, you never heard about the ownership before the, this issue with Charles Johnson. You hardly ever did. I don't see Larry Ellison as a silent partner in this. No, Larry, Larry Ellison's going to want, I mean, the first thing, I mean, and this is all hypothetical, but, yeah. you know, let's say Charlie Johnson sells his shares to Larry Ellison. Well, having 40% of a team is basically the same as having 1% of a team. You, you've got to get to 51. And if you're going to get to 51... You may as well get to 90. I mean, you may you may as well just own all of it. Right. I mean, I mean that's one of the things that you know that 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 the A's have always had. John Fisher's owned 85 percent of that team since the day he bought it, and the even though everything else about the A's and Giants are incongruous in a lot of ways, the Giants are an anomaly in that they have a lot of people with a little bit of a voice and the trend in sports is to have very few people with a lot of voice or ideally one person with all the voice right. that's where I think the biggest change in the Giants is going to be over the long haul which is in the ownership suite yeah a lot of these owners now they they love the spotlight or they're a lightning rod and they, they're one or the other they're a well, face they of the franchise all the money yeah I mean it, it's you know the Giants you know do phenomenally well I mean, and, and have since the day they opened that place and at some point as long as baseball is still on a, on a growth growth track somebody's going to say that's what I mean it's the fourth richest franchise in baseball you know somebody's going to want all of that and not have to put up with shareholders meetings and not have to listen to the three percenters you, know, you say, no, look, this is mine, shut up. Because people with that kind of money 
like this is mine shut up yeah. it, i wouldn't it, mind being a three percenter if that meant i had the money if somebody was going to tell me to shut up fine i'll shut up it, it, people but, tell me to shut up now and I, I have enough money to buy a pliny that's about it but you won't but i mean if you're a three percenter you're already fine with shutting up yeah yeah it's when you're a three percenter and you want to be something more that the problem comes and don't forget a lot of those three percenters rose up when charlie johnson right. had his you know political gaffes and they basically you know went to larry Baird and said you better fix this right. and i don't know if they fixed it or not i think we'll we'll find out in time but you know for the most part the three percenters have been fine with being three percenters but charlie johnson was not a hands-on bully 40 percenter the guy who's going to take this team from him when he's ready to sell is either going to be a family member who might want more more of a piece or an outsider who wants more of a piece. So I I think that's going to be the next huge thing with the Giants. It's not going to be what their roster is going to look like in three years. It's what their table of organization is going to look like in three years. You're listening to Triple's Alley Podcast. Ray Woodson here with Ray Ratto. We're talking billionaires. We'll talk more high finance coming up. Okay, you've heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. You heard right, Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people. But there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesday, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 Central, WGN America presents the new TV series, Pure, based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel. But he finds himself way in over his head. And the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things, all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure. Wednesday, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 Central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV Channel 307, Dish Channel 239, or check your local cable listings for the channel in your area. All right, more now with Ray Ratto, formerly of the Chronicle and NBC Sports Bay Area, and I asked him if uh, the Raiders might play at Oracle Park. No. I think three things work against that. One and two are that the Giants are going to drive a ridiculously high bargain on the theory that the Raiders don't have any leverage. And the Raiders do have a bit of leverage. It just means they'd have to swallow their pride and go back to Oakland. Because I don't think Levi's is a, that's a workable deal. I don't think Glendale is, I, is even remotely close to a solution. San Diego is absolutely close to them. They're not going to get to Cal or Stanford. I think it's a two-horse race, and if it's a two-horse race and one of those horses is Oakland, mm-hmm. AT&T slash Oracle mm-hmm. is going to, you know, Larry Bear is going to charge through the nose. Right. Not only that, I think there is a way in which they might insist, okay, you can play here, but you're only going to get the seven minimum dates, and we want you to be on the road the first three weeks and either be in Europe in week four or have a buy in week four so that we don't have to deal with you guys running on the field during September. Mm-hmm. Because baseball, I mean, they've, they've sold that ballpark as a baseball park. And I think they want to try to preserve that for 
marketing slash sentimental reasons for as long as possible. And I don't know that between that and the money they're going to ask in terms of the lease, in terms of concessions and parking, in terms of all of those things, I think they're going to make it a very difficult deal for Mark Davis to say yes to, which means that he's got to swallow hard, go back to Oakland and just go, all right, let's just do the one year and mm -hmm. then I can get the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's going to be a great slogan for 2019. Let's get the hell out of here. Uh, well, fan, hey, listen, they're a lame duck team already. I, I know the NFL wants the Raiders to go to Levi's if they're going to go anywhere. Right? We don't know. We actually don't know that. You don't know that? No, that's what I, I've heard. Well, everybody says that. But if the NFL wanted it to happen, it would have happened by now. Hmm. The fact is, the NFL is not the league office. The NFL is 32 owners who don't like the idea that the league office can tell any owner what to do. And in this case, they'd be telling two owners who don't want this to happen that it's going to happen anyway. That's a, that's a huge hurdle. I mean, Jed York... Or Denise, if you want to go right to the, own, the true owner of the team, you know they've made it clear they don't want the Raiders there. They haven't wanted the, wanted the Raiders right. there since the Raiders hemmed and hawed about being a partner in the stadium. And Mark Davis doesn't want to play there because you know he's not going to have control about anything. You know, tailgating. You know, none of it. He's going to be he's going to be another humiliated tenant. So he doesn't want that either. And the problem ultimately becomes if you have two owners who don't want something to happen, the other 30 owners are going to say, well, wait a minute, if the league can tell people who don't want to do something that they have to do something, yeah. what's going to happen when it's my turn? So I don't think they're going. To, I don't think they're pushing that hard for this. I, they would prefer that they play there, but they, I don't even not, know don't. that they prefer it. Really? I really don't. Huh. I honestly think that, you know, if they wanted this to happen. They'd have insisted on it by yeah. now. Yeah. And okay. I don't think they're insisting on it. I, I think Levi's is going to happen only if Oracle is determined to be absolutely unsuitable and the city of Oakland literally refuses to talk to the Raiders. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the city of Oakland's refusing to talk to the Raiders. I think what they're basically saying is, you know, we're going to sue you anyway. Now, the problem is that, you know, the, 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 whole, the whole issue of the lease can be solved really easily. Yeah. You just say, okay, you guys pay us the $7.5 that you said you're willing to do, and if we win our lawsuit, we'll take that 7.5 off the top. So that, you know, because it's not about the Raiders helping to fund the city's lawsuit, because the lawsuit's going to be done on a contingency. So if, if the league and the Raiders win, Oakland doesn't have to pay anything. So it's not a question of, you know, you know paying, for, paying to get sued. It's really about, you know, whether they want to eat a crap sandwich for one last year in Oakland. It's, it's not money, it's pride. And as long as pride is the issue, you know, you could defeat pride with money. And I think that's that, been proven throughout history. Yeah, I think ultimately they're they're gonna just go, you know what? This isn't worth the headache it's become. You know, the Giants are too difficult to deal with. We still don't want to go to Santa Clara. We're just gonna we're just we're just gonna 
eat it at Oakland one more year, and then we're gone, and we're never looking back. I mean, the only real damage here is that anybody who thinks that Oakland's getting an expansion team or a relocated team just has to give up that notion. That's not happening. I mean, when the Raiders leave, Oakland's not getting another team. Have you uh, submitted your Hall of Fame ballot? A long time ago. Okay. Are you prepared to disclose your vote? I never have. I've never done it for uh, Ryan Thibodeau just because I think when guys put out their Hall of Fame votes, there's a, there's kind of this, you know, um, this sort of, oh, hey, look at me vote yeah. sort of thing. I, I, it's a, and it's a little off-putting for me. Now, when I, I always, I'm in favor of transparency, but when the BBWA releases all the names, that's when people find out who I voted for. Right. But it's not that hard looking at past votes to see who I'm going to vote for, because I'm relatively consistent about it. Um, the only thing I will say is that last year I did not vote for Kurt Schilling, and this year I am. Okay. But beyond that, I mean, it's the same yahoos I always vote for. You know, there's no, there's no changes. I mean, I'm not voting for 10 this year because I think, in part, the logjam has been broken some. I still think there's, you know, I still think there's a, you know, a backlog that we'll have to get dealt with. And truthfully, I think long term, the Hall of Fame vote is going to be taken away from the BBWA anyway. Really? Why? I think... Rob Manfred wants to turn it into a full-on show, and he's going to want to have the, quote, blue-ribbon panel that they always love doing. I mean, basketball has one like that. Hockey has one like that. Football has one like that. And while I think that the Baseball Hall of Fame voting is the most logical and fairest of them all because there are so many people doing it, the, the trend is not toward broadening you know, or, or, or widening the field of eligible voters. It's they about purged narrowing some. it. They, you know, the baseball writers purged about 100 of them. And I think you know, the trend in terms of teams is, okay, let's, you know, I mean, or, or, or the leagues, is we want basically to control this more than we do now. I mean, they're getting more free publicity out of the system as it is. But it's, but it's not publicity that generates money. It's just talk. Yeah. And I think for the most part, leagues go, yeah, talk's fine, but we'd rather have the cash. And I think you can, you can monetize the system more efficiently by basically having the blue ribbon, blue ribbon panel than you can by having 440 voters. So I think... Rob Manfred is probably thinking that way, and I think ultimately it's going to end up that way because there's no there's no huge hue and cry to keep it the way it is. Everybody who complains about the system as it is is helping hasten the end of the system, but what they're what they're hastening basically is the fact that fewer people will get to be involved. Yeah, it's it's going to be that. It's going to be perhaps a little less transparent. And listen, everybody. No, no, no. It'll be completely not transparent. Yeah. Okay. The NHL, well, the, 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 I know it is in those other sports. Hockey yeah. is not transparent. Football's not transparent. Basketball's not. basketball. You don't even know who's on the committee. The truth is, they don't want. They want this to be a 
television show or a streaming show. I mean, they want it to be a media show that they can cash in on. The baseball writers of America and the system they use is something they can't cash in on. And whether they like the system or not, and they might, they don't have control over it. And I think everything that we know about sports in America in the 21st century is that the leagues and their constituent owners want to control everything. They're, that's why they're in gambling. Well, yeah, and nothing's un, you know, no, nobody's unbiased, okay? Everybody's got their bias, but I think this is the least biased system right now. Oh, no, the, it, it has bias, but the bias is filtered out by the fact that there are so many of them. Yeah. yeah. And if one guy has a goofy ballot, it's negated by the fact that there are 441 others that might not be so goofy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm always amused by the debate about, well, you know, why don't they have a unanimous, you know, why that? Why has that never happened? Who cares? I mean, is it is it really required that everybody must think alike? What possible difference does it make? If you get in, you get in. I mean, I think it's one of those things where we gaze at our own navels and we think this is important when, in fact, it matters not. And I don't remember that there's ever been a player who screamed, I should have been unanimously selected. What difference does it? What, there is, literally, there is no point. He'd be a massive tool if he did. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, I mean, we're massive tools for thinking it matters. <laughs> I mean, I don't care who doesn't vote for Mariano Rivera. I don't care. If somebody doesn't believe that a, a closer should be in the Hall of Fame, fine, they get to have that opinion. You can argue with that opinion all you want. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't matter. I mean, are, are we going to become the Albanian Politburo where... Unanimity of thought is the only thing that's allowed. Don't give people ideas. Well, no. I mean, I think in a lot of ways we head that way. I mean, and I think part of the reason why, you know, statistical analysis alone of players, you know, sucks out a little of the flavor of what you're trying to accomplish, not only in terms of enjoying the sport, but in terms of the the Hall of Fame voting. I mean, it just, it's... It doesn't matter that it's not 100%. No, it matters that it's 75.00001%. You pass the class, you pass the class. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, we, we fetishize our own importance on this to such a disturbing degree that, frankly, if somebody wanted to pass a law that said that every year 2% of the media should be shot, I'd have to think about whether I'm in favor of that. <laughs> I mean, I probably wouldn't be, but I'd think about it. Well, I think if you don't vote for Mariano Rivera, you should be put in a public stockade. Let me get that out there right now. Well, that's now. fine, but I mean, I, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said they sh- somebody should have their vote taken away, yeah, yeah. I could have retired decades ago. <laughs> no, you don't. Uh, shut up. They don't agree with you. You don't get to put them to death in the woods. They don't agree with you. Live with that. Life will go on. Shut up. <laughs> All right. So we're uh, arguing with ourselves here. On, uh, no, we're not arguing with ourselves. It's, it's, it's the idea that, and this is happening all across America in a lot of different ways. It's if I don't agree with you, rather than spend the two and a half minutes to say, well, here's why I don't agree with right. you. We, we go to the four-second solution, which is you should have your vote taken away and you should be beaten to death. That's what we do. 
That's insanity. That's Twitter. That's the Twitterization of America right there. But it's Twitter. It's the way we think about things. It's Mm -hmm. the way we converse. We don't have... We don't believe that nuance is valuable because nuance takes time, and we're just all in too much of a hurry because we're all heading home to cure cancer. That's right. No time for that. Uh, I saw from uh, Ryan Thibodeau's uh, Twitter handle, uh, it might have been about a week ago, preliminary, you know, he started to compile the votes, and Bonds was very close. So I don't know if this is the year he gets in or he falls just a little short again. No, How do you think not, that plays he's out? Not, he's not getting in this year. Neither is Clemens because Thibodeau's vote samples do not include people who tend to vote against Bonds and Clemens. Oh, okay. I mean, the, 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 the numbers will go down. And it's got nothing to do with, with, with Thibodeau's research or anything else. It's that there are... There are older voters who don't want any kind of transparency and don't even take it when the BBWA offers it. Now, the BBWA is changing to a system where it's no longer an option next year. I think the bump might happen next year, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. And the only reason why I don't put my votes out now is just because I think it's it's sort of solipsistic, sort of, ooh, look at me, you know. I mean, people get to know what I what I thought when they see the when they see the BBWA release that's all it just it's and I anybody wants to put their votes out now I'm good with that too I for me I I don't want this to be about what my opinion is you know let's see what the result is and the result to me is who got 75 percent and who got close to 75 percent I mean I want to see all of it I don't want to see you know well you didn't vote for my guy therefore you're evil yeah. You know, shut up. Who, I, I don't care what you... I mean, you know, if I if I vote for Scott Rowland or I don't vote for Scott Rowland, it has nothing to do with what your opinion of me gets to be. That's why I don't put that out. I agree with you wholeheartedly, except for you better vote for Jason Bay. That's all I'm saying. I am all over that. <laughs> you think Bonds and Clemens get in? I think Eventually? When, I think when... I think they probably get in in year nine or ten, because the the resistance to them wanes as voters drop off the rolls. Um, I, I think there still are a lot of people who romanticize the game and believe that even though there are great tales to be had in all the guys who cheated, they think cheating's somehow not cool. When baseball, it's one of its major pillars. It's basically, you know, it's a sport built by reprobates for reprobates. I mean, the entire history of baseball is reprobates. You know, Mike Trout is the outlier. Ty Cobb is an outlier. But everything between that is guys who don't mind cheating sometimes. I mean, Greg Maddox touched up baseballs from time to time just because, hey, that works. Or he got the benefit of wide strike zone. Well, you know, what did he did he refuse strikes because he didn't think they were good enough? No, I mean, you, you, baseball is a game in part based on brigandry. Gaylord Perry. Yeah, and at some point, you know, the resistance to the steroid era guys is going to wear off. I mean, if they don't get in on the writers' vote, I don't think they'll ever get in. But I think they'll get in on the writers' vote. Before they before their ten year term expires, yeah, I think that should happen. 
All right, Ray. Well, it's great chatting with you. The beer's getting warm, so we've got to finish these. But uh, other than that, I ho- hope to uh, either run into you at McGee's once again and have another plenty, or we'll see you out at some sporting event somewhere working for somebody else real soon. Well, at this point, I don't know if I want to be in an event or drinking. Today, I think I'd rather drink. Cheers. Ho, ho. Ray Ratto on Triple Sally Report. Thanks ever so much to Ray Ratto for joining us. And he won't admit it, but he can be a sweetheart of a guy. Now he's never going to be in my podcast again. I will probably run into him in Scottsdale. And speaking of which, uh, we're making the move to Arizona next week. And uh, this is going to be exciting for Triple's Alley Report because uh, we'll be down for part of the Giants Fantasy Camp, which includes former players serving as coaches. So looking forward to talking to some of those guys. Maybe I'll step in the box and have one of them give me some chin music. Or maybe not. I'll see just how courageous I am at that time. Right now, not feeling super courageous. But uh, stay tuned next week. I hope you uh, listen in for Triple's Alley Report as we get closer and closer to spring training.